I loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking gay movies. We're talking horror movies. We're talking gay zombie movies. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. All right. And we are joined by a very, very special guest star. It is Mr. Kyle Turner. Thank you so much for having me. How you doing? I'm doing really great. Despite the fact that the weather is a bit drizzly, I'm doing very well today. I'm ready to be undead with all of you. <laughs> yes, I wonder if the weather is better in uh, Berlin right now. Was this filmed in Berlin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like whatever. <laughs> Trace is already out of the loop completely. Despite being based in Canada, I believe yeah. he mostly makes his films in like Berlin or like the Eastern Bloc, because I think The Misandrist was filmed in albania or something well i'm super excited for this because i'm gonna be the big virgin for this movie because my bruce larousse knowledge and his oeuvre is um minimal at best <laughs> so we'll, we're gonna have some fun i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be there all the audience who's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about sounds good mm -hmm. we're gonna stumble our way through this so yes we haven't said it but we are talking about bruce labrusse's auto or up with dead people and that title is important, even though it doesn't quite roll off the tongue. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, I was very confused until the movie started, and th that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's more tongue-in-cheek than I think his most recent titles have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little more playful, for sure. The other ones are very, like, thuddingly obvious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and holy fuck, we also forgot to ask Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle, would you like to give yourself a brief introduction? <laughs> Sure. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me again, um, which is what I said to my biological parents before I was adopted by white people. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am a freelance writer based in uh, New York. Uh, I live in Brooklyn. Uh, I write predominantly on, on queer cinema, and I have uh, written for The Village Voice, RIP, Slate. Um, I frequently contribute to Paste Magazine, and I've written for The New York Times. And I'm a big fan of Bruce LaBruce. And I believe you've also recently started writing for the AV Club, right? I did a piece for the AV Club, and I'm also doing some stuff for GQ. Oh, that's Jeez. awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. Killing it. <laughs> so, yes, we are discussing Auto or Up with Dead People. And listeners, if you, for some reason, haven't watched this since we announced we were doing this last week, uh, it is available to stream on Amazon in the States for $5. So, go get it. There's, uh, blah, blah, blah. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it came out on November 7th, 2008, was uh, distributed by Strand Releasing, and has a pretty brief runtime of 95 minutes. I couldn't find any budget information on this, but I'm imagining it's pretty low. Yeah, I mean, I know that he got a lot of funding from various art councils here in Canada, and then I think he probably sold off distribution rights internationally and various other things, but it's... yeah... This is firmly in the realm of art cinema, so I can't imagine that we're talking millions of dollars. It's probably upper hundreds of thousands. Well, I was reading because um, it was shot on HD cam and Super 16mm, but they ended up finishing it in 35mm to help open up the theatrical possibilities for the film. 
And basically, uh, it did go to one theater in the States. That opening weekend, it did open in the number 100 spot with $3,456. Woohoo. Woo! <laughs> and uh, ended its domestic run with $11,295, which, I mean, honestly, given what we're looking at here, which is essentially a softcore pornographic film, uh, I'd say that's a respectable gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a film for everybody. Not a film for everyone. That you are from Canadian, Joe, makes sense because I was listening to the way that you were saying certain words uh, <laughs> and it only just hit me. Um, I just assume that everyone that I talk to is from the Northeast in the United States. I'm uh, literally a coastal elitist and all people who are from LA are dead to me, but... Fair enough. <laughs> that is not relevant. Uh, my apologies. <laughs> anyway. We're not, we're not, we're not going to edit that out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Bruce LaBruce is known for working with smaller budgets. He um, is inadvertently or or unintentionally part of the new queer cinema wave, which uh, began in the early 1990s. And the term new queer cinema was coined by queer film critic B. Ruby Rich. She wrote an article for Sight and Sound in, I think, 1995, I believe. And she was describing a bunch of these films that were kind of reconciling with what gayness and queerness could look like and what it might be post-AIDS crisis, um, mm. kind of a reconciling with the role that LGBTQ people had in film and visual culture up till that point and kind of challenging a lot of those stereotypes. And one of the films that was part of this was uh, Hustler White, which I think came out in 95, 96, I believe. Um, yeah. And that was a film that was technically co-directed by Bruce LeBruce and is a very, very loose retelling of Sunset Boulevard. And Bruce LeBruce is kind of like an amateur slash not amateur pornographer in a lot of his work. A lot of his films, I think, try to meld pornographic aesthetics with art house aesthetics and mm. to what degree that successful is completely subjective. But he really wants to challenge the way in which art cinema and pornography are separated in conversation in in cultural and film discourses. And I think he, he does a really interesting job in, in a lot of his work. Yeah, you can definitely see that shining through here. And I read a couple of different places that said that this was one of the more accessible, almost mainstream <laughs> Holy films shit. that he's made. Yeah, sure. So I think we've picked a good one in that regard. Yeah, it's like picking a bunch of habanero peppers and saying this is the least spicy one. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to be totally upfront and say that I don't think I enjoyed this movie very much, um, but I did find it interesting, which I know is like the most boring term to use to describe <laughs> something. But I mean, I, there were parts of it where I was okay. Like, I, I, I get what he's trying to do. And I know that the, I don't want to, I guess not crassness, but like the crudeness of like the, of the style that he's going for mm. is, you know, not something that I particularly gravitate towards when seeking out media. And I get that's mm. the point though. I get that's the point. But I did read uh, something like uh, it was actually it was an interview with IndieWire uh, where he he basically said you know film was his major but he dropped out of production because and I quote I never thought a sissy like me could make a movie it seemed too complicated and expensive but then he got involved in the punk scene in Toronto and he discovered Super Eight and then he started making experimental films uh, and got his MA in film theory and social and political thought at, at university. And you can definitely see how his more theoretical or academic background informs his filmmaking. And what's what's very strange to me is that I've seen most of his films. I think the only ones that I haven't seen are L.A. Zombie, 
Pierre Lunaire and Ulrich's Brain, which has not been released in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I saw, I wrote a piece for Film and Fishnets, which is this uh, zine that's run by Danica Uskart. And I wrote a piece about Bruce LaBruce's kind of use of pornography aesthetics and sex workers as a kind of this jumping off point to understand the way in which kind of visual culture is a transaction in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so I watched his earlier films, No Skin Off My Ass and Super Eight and a Half, and including Hustler White, those three look more aesthetically conventional than his later work like The Raspberry Rag or Otto or Up With Dead People. <laughs> There's definitely a more rough and tumble rough hewn quality to the form in particular auto or up with dead people and i think what's interesting about this is him trying to meld his rough hewn style with trying to use horror mm-hmm. aesthetic tropes not only in terms of visual form or, or cinematography but also in terms of sound yeah 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 because really all of his other films are they're not more conventional, but they are, I think, more firmly in a traditional dramatic vein. Like, he's very much using his influences, which is a lot of well-known European directors like Fellini and Godard. And it feels like this is a meshing of him saying, I've got these interesting messages that I want to get across. And it seems like the horror genre is a good medium to try expressing some of those. Which it mm-hmm. is. Which it absolutely is, which is, I think, one of the reasons why this is going to be such a fascinating conversation, because, Kyle, you're going to bring in the queer cinema stuff, and then Trace and I can pop in with some of the horror stuff. Are you a big horror fan, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, horror films were actually partially how I got into cinema. Like, the two phases of me falling in love with film were, like, screwball comedies of 1930s, 40s, and 50s, Mm because I wasn't allowed to watch Disney Renaissance films as a kid, so, like, my mom showed me bringing up Baby and His Girl Friday instead. Nice. Um, And then, when I turned 9 or 10, I went through a slasher film phase, and... (laughs) <laughs> a very weird bedfellows, but that is you, no. You, you're gonna fit. Movies. You're gonna fit in very well here. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> we we both have an unabashed love for slashers, as everyone should. Mm-hmm. So okay, so Joe, um, I guess we've already kind of d- dived into a little a little bit, but um, what is Otto about? Okay. So, for those who have not seen it, Otto or Up With Dead People is about a zombie named Otto, who awakens in a graveyard and hitches a ride to Berlin, where he explores the city, picking up a stranger outside a gay bar and seemingly attacking him, although the man also seems fine, despite him and his entire apartment being covered in blood. (laughs) Otto is later chased by a group of men and hides in an alley where he spots a casting call for actors to portray zombies. He impresses the director, Medea Yarn, who is making a black-and-white political porno zombie movie called Up With Dead People, with her girlfriend, Hella Bent, and her brother, Adolf. Medea casts Otto and convinces her star, Fritz Fritzi. Did I get that right? Is it Fritz Fritzi? (laughs) I I was calling him Fritz Fritz the whole time. (laughs) I think she says his name once, and that's the only time where I was like, oh, it's Fritzy. Okay. I say calling him that the whole time as if I was, like, saying his name out loud whilst I was watching it by myself, but, you know, in my head. You were just repeating it to yourself and yeah. just kind of becoming the character. Very um, Meisner actor studio of you. 
Exactly. I actually think it's more likely that he was probably jerking off since Fritz Fritzi is played by a German porn star. I did had to deflate my boner before I sat down because the end of this movie. Oh, oh sorry. I watched an hour of this movie last night. <laughs> deflate? I'm sorry. Go back to deflate. <laughs> I had to. Um, oh, you stick the pin into the penis and then suck the what, air. <laughs> what is that? Well, no, what is that? What is it called when the, the porn, like the sub genre of porn where the, uh, men stick like metal rods in their urethra? Oh, um, I don't know what that's called. There's a name for it. But I I know the tool with that they use has a specific name for it, and I believe it is German, but I don't know the name of the subgenre of that. Well, listeners, if you know, tweet us, or I'll just Google it after this. I just, <laughs> I have accidentally come across that kind of porn. Um, just accidentally. No, 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 yes. no. I, it really, and then like, I, and obviously, then I started watching. It. I was like, oh no, 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 can't do it. That's a hard left turn from Bellamy Trace. It, it really is. Speaking of Bellamy, I was walking on the Upper East Side yesterday. I was with friends and I went to the Met to see the camp exhibit. Oh. And then like after that, my uh, a friend and I were like going to get coffee. And we walked past this coffee shop on like 68th and Madison that was called Bellamy. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think about it because Robert Pattinson was in a movie called Bell and Me a couple years ago. And... I remember that. It's the adaptation of the book by yes. George Deroy, yes. from which the porn studio gets its name. Oh, really? man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a gay sexual movie, I don't think. But... No, no, no. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> no, it's... no, no. This is what happens all the time. <laughs> so, Medea casts Otto and convinces Fritz to let Otto stay in the guest bedroom. And Medea then films Otto in a number of different locations while expressing her political philosophies about commercialism and capitalism and environmentalism and all these other fun things. Meanwhile, Otto begins remembering elements of his past life, including details about his ex-boyfriend, Rudolf. He arranges to meet Rudolf at the schoolyard where they met, and it is revealed that Otto disappeared after their breakup. Otto is then beaten up by the men who followed him earlier, and he stumbles to the shooting location where he is discovered by Fritz, so he missed the final day of shooting, aka the orgy. The pair end up sleeping together, and it is maybe confirmed that Otto's zombie status is actually just an elaborate makeup job. In the morning, Fritz wakes up alone, and we discover that Otto has left the city, and he is wandering north, and he's fully back in zombie mode. Yeah. And that description makes it sound like this film kind of makes sense, but really... The reason that the title is what it is is because there's almost two separate films. There's Otto, which is the story of this young, wandering, potential zombie boy. And then there's also Up With Dead People, which is the film that Medea is making that is shot in black and white that is intercut throughout the film. And there's a bunch of times where it's actually not clear. Like, you don't know that that's the movie until you see them filming well, that movie later. <laughs> no, because, I mean, there is the visual cue with the black and white aesthetic. But I do want to point out that when... Okay, so your plot summary, you know, I think the second sentence you said was Otto finds the casting call. That takes place 42 minutes into the movie. Because <laughs> I, I clocked it. So that means there is literally 42 minutes of film before that that happens. It really isn't that important. Well, okay, I say that. Maybe we'll get to it. But yeah. who knows? <laughs> So one could argue, and I think a lot of people who are casually dipping into this film not knowing what to expect, they're going to have a rough ride of this. So apologies to anyone who just casually put this on on like a Wednesday night thinking, no, 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 no. I'm just going to watch this gay zombie movie. Fuck that. Yeah. Don't, don't apologize. <laughs> we are exposing them to art. Yeah, it's more... If you look at the box art for this, if you look at the terrible fucking tagline for it, yeah. 
you might misunderstand that this film is somewhere between pornography and art cinema. And it has a lot of horrific elements to it and a bunch of like half decent makeup effects and prosthetics and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But like at the end of the day, this is unlike any other film that we have covered on the podcast that we are maybe going to cover in the near future. Like it is hella philosophical, very much indebted to the history of cinema. And Bruce LeBruce is not interested in making a commercial film. The only time he's ever been interested in making a commercial film was with uh, Gerontophilia. But this is... Oh, yeah. And that one sounds super boring. What? What are you talking about? That was good. <laughs> Gerontophilia, is... Gerontophilia is his most accessible film, and it's very sweet. I read about that. So, cause it's, it's like you the first read film. about it. Well, no. I mean, because I, I was doing research. I haven't seen it, but that's the... Because it's the... Is it the first film he's done that doesn't have explicit, like, pornographic elements to it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is his only film that does not include explicit sex. There you go. Explicit right. sex. It's like gay Harold and Maud, yeah. which yes. is reductive, but not untrue. No, I didn't no, mean to, sure. to suggest that it's boring, but considering his oeuvre, it's Well, I'll just call it boring. I would be the first one to call it boring. <laughs> As someone who likes Bruce the Bruce, I will call it boring. Well, do you, do you yeah. like it despite it being boring? No. I... Oh. I, I <laughs> I have an appre- an abstract appreciation of it in the context of his larger work as a director, and uh, I know that I'm boring you to tears. Yes. <laughs> Just give us the tea. Give us the, the tea, tea, Kyle. Come on. The tea is that is it is an essay film disguised as a horror film by someone who is more of an essay film maker than a horror filmmaker. And I would say that I like this film more than I like something like Hereditary, because I think as much as Bruce Lieber struggles to mitigate his aesthetic and the genre aesthetic within which he tries to work, at least it doesn't feel as condescending as Hereditary does. Oh, that's a real, uh, that's a real hot take. <laughs> I hate Hereditary. I've seen it four times, and I watched it. <laughs> I watched it twice on Thanksgiving break because I showed it to my husband's family. And then like two days later, I showed it to my family. Why are you like that? Well, because I, I, I <laughs> what's funny is my husband's family really liked it. My family was very much like, what the fuck is this? But I like that movie more and more every time I watch it. But I don't I'm think sorry it's- you're wrong. There's you're you're entitled to your you're entitled to your wrong opinion. I totally get it. Uh, but no, no, no. I, I love Hereditary, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I think one of the things that's interesting about this film is Bruce LeBruce's understanding of exactly what he's doing and his explicit disinterest in making the film for other people. I've seen criticisms of it, like people who do not understand this film saying, oh, it plays out like a cheap, shitty student film. This guy doesn't know how to edit. He doesn't know how to shoot. The variety reviews of This film and his other works is hysterical because they just do not understand at all what he's trying to do. Like, they complain that Medea's girlfriend, who I think is one of the most interesting things in this entire film, she's shot as though she's in a silent film, like a black and white silent film. Hella's my favorite part of this movie. Like, Hella Bent is awesome. The name alone is amazing. And Mm. Variety was like, he doesn't even try to integrate her in. Like, she stands apart. (laughs) And I'm just like... Yes, yeah. and. 
are you so fucking stupid that you don't understand that? So I, I realize we kind of skipped over the reception. I'm not going to go too far into it. But basically, like, you know, you've got a Rotten Tomatoes score of this movie of 42% with an audience score of 46%. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, that's surprisingly high. Yeah, yeah for How sure. How many reviews is that? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember, but if you'll give me a second, I will check on that. And then a uh, Metacritic, though, you've got a score of 34 out of 100 from critics. But the user score of 7.4 out of 10. But I will confess that mm. that one is like 11 like user user reviews so it's not like you know but uh so your critics and it's only 19 critics for rotten tomatoes okay so it's a small sample size. the audience scores though is 1458 Hmm. which (laughs) i mean they found this movie yeah well that's the thing is like there are people who eagerly seek out bruce labouche's work because they know that he's going to give them something controversial you know trace you Mm -hmm. apologize for using the word interesting but the truth is is that when you watch this film there's a very likely possibility that you're going to watch it and not get everything that he's trying to do but it is interesting like Mm -hmm. sometimes you're bored sometimes you're turned off sometimes you're turned on but it really is a bit of a journey i was watching it and just being like what the fuck is this movie it's Mm. so weird and yet there's a lot of interesting things to talk about he is to me like a less marginally less misogynistic faggy godard yeah in the same way (laughs) in the same way that he wants to challenge form challenge audience expectation use film form explicitly as a vehicle for political thought Yeah. yeah and also explicitly deny the kind of crass commercialism that you get from you know say something like hereditary where you're trying to tell a story that people sit in the dark and they lose themselves in there were so many times where i was just like oh bruce LeBruce is giving me the finger and being like wake up stop watching this movie start thinking about it and interacting and like listen to what i'm saying i haven't felt that way since i was watching a shit ton of those kinds of movies back in film school yeah, that, that's kind of the thing, though. Like, watching this movie kind of reminded me of, like, the films I had to watch in college. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I get it. It just it didn't always really connect with me. Like, and I... Yeah. Well, okay, so... I think it's intentionally an alienating ex- experience, though. For sure. Yeah, no, for sure. absolutely. So, I, well, then, Joe, I mean, like, again, like, you're right. There are a lot of things to talk about in this film. So, what avenue do y'all want to go down first? Um, start with the zombie thing i guess sure i was fascinated to see that there are a bunch so when i was reading a bunch of different reviews a lot of them were saying okay so there's this zombie uprising that people have accepted so zombies are part of the mainstream culture in the world of this film yeah and Otto was one of them and i didn't get that impression because he is a disturbed young man who has chosen to withdraw from society and he's put on this makeup and he is living as a zombie to disengage. Like that's why in the sex scene at the end with Fritz, the makeup all comes off and he's just a regular boy. So I, okay. I'm assuming, okay. I'm assuming it was intentional because I I just watched this movie (laughs) and I was like, is that a, like a snafu or is that intentional? When, because the context. Oh, it's all intentional. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, obviously. Not obviously. Sorry, obviously I'm questioning it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. Wait, what I, is your argument? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know what I'm saying. Just like this movie sometimes, but who knows? I'm raising my hand. Okay. Raise your hand. Hi. Raise my what hand. What do you think? 
So the film seems to be split between the subjectivity of Otto, the zombie, and then that of the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And the information that we hear of these zombie uprising is from that of the filmmaker. Yes. And I think what the film is trying to assert is the line between someone who's, you know, withdrawn from society and disengaged and like an actual zombie is very, very thin, that they are effectively the same thing. Mm. My problem with the film is that Bruce LaBruce's like conception or, or desire to use zombies allegorically for like the dumb, disengaged or easily impressionable public is easy. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose. It's very Walking Dead. Um, well, and I think it acknowledges that at first, but then he tries to use zombies as those marginalized from society, particularly based on class, tries to use it in um, conjunction or, or he tries to somehow relate to homelessness. And then mm-hmm. I think there are a few other ways in which he tries to use like zombie identity as as this jumping off point for identity. But the problem is that he never... He doesn't settle on one. Yes. He doesn't settle on one and they end up being somewhat contradictory to a degree where his political or discursive goals don't make sense. Well, I agree. Like, he doesn't seem to settle on one. And from that same Andy Wire interview that I pulled, he has two, he says in that interview two different things that he's comparing the zombies to. Mm-hmm. One of them just being, you know, the regular, like, you know, homosexual men. I use regular in quotes, whatever, you know, make it that way you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, yeah, those alienated from society, like the people that feel dead inside, people that are, you know, essentially metaphorical zombies he made them real zombies and again like you said kyle there's a bunch of other interpretations for it that he seems to be trying to do but it kind of feels like a jumbled mess sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think you could look at it as he's trying to shoehorn too many different ideas into a single shambling metaphor but we shouldn't neglect the fact that some of this is coming from Medea. Right. And she is not only a stand-in for Bruce LeBruce himself, as mm-hmm. almost all female filmmakers in his filmography are, but she obviously also has an agenda, which is why she wants to film Otto eating meat at the supermarket. And that's why, you know, graphic sex scenes are intercut with meat being flayed off bones. Yeah. And that's why she takes him to the recycling garbage lot and gives him that big spiel about this is the world he's inheriting. And She's based on the filmmaker Maya Darren, who was an avant-garde filmmaker of like, I want to say the late 50s or the 50s some point. Close to the 60s, 70s. There you go. But I couldn't tell if he was taking her seriously or if she was supposed to be some kind of parody or spoof of some sort. Because some of her dialogue was very much like, okay, this is clearly poking fun at her. But then other times I was confused. I would say maybe yes and no. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say Because if if Medea is also somewhat of an avatar for Labus himself, is the confusion or disinclination to settle on a more thorough metaphor for the zombie like an auto critique of some sort probably i mean at the end of the day she's not explicitly interested in making a zombie film she's looking at using them as a political revolutionary tool Mm -hmm. which is again also part of bruce lee bruce's work like he he wants to make films that inspire revolution and get people to take political action right but my problem is like even when your goal is to inspire political action or your goal is to use film form as a vehicle for political thought or discussion or discourse the actual discourse does not make sense 
Yeah. This almost feels like a case of having your cake and eating it too and wanting to say, well, if I make a film that's more open to interpretation, then people can read it in all sorts of different ways. And then we can have really interesting dialogues and discourses about it. But that assumes that people can make heads or tails of it. Well, that also brings filmmaker intention into question here. And, you know, I mean, Joe, you and I have discussed before, you know, how when you're making a reading of any kind of art, especially as film as we do, intention doesn't really matter. It's always up to, you know, the viewer and how they read it. But The author's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, Trace and I don't 100% subscribe to authorial intention, but obviously it does Play a part. It plays a I part. Mean, the person who's fucking making the movie, but but yeah, but I mean, like you know, if we've had commenters that are like, the filmmaker has never said this is the intention. It's like, well, that doesn't fucking matter. Like in that case, intention doesn't matter if we read a film a certain way. Yeah, they also like to tell us that if a filmmaker or a screenwriter or a lighting assistant is gay, it doesn't mean that we should assume that the movie has a gay intention. You're like, oh, well, which way do you want to have it, bitch? <laughs> I am a very big fan of reading queerness into anything that's. Anything and everything. Anything and everything, but I'm particularly interested in the way in which queerness can be authored into text where no explicitly LGBTQ character appears. Mm -hmm. Like, Todd Haynes is Mildred Pierce? Queer. Oh, oh yeah. God. So well, no, I mean, like, you know, we, we had, we had, like, I think the worst of our comments was in Happy Death Day when, you know, someone was like, well, why does it matter if the director's queer? Why do you got to point that out? And it's like, I don't have fucking time to explain this to you. <laughs> I'm sorry that you don't understand how to do different interpretive readings of art. <laughs> yeah. Go to a gallery or maybe learn from people. Stay home. Yeah. <laughs> Stay home. Lock yourself in the closet. So what did y'all think of Otto the character? <laughs> i mean he's he's a bit of a snooze but yes. i think that's by design actually i i didn't dislike his parts i did not dislike his presence in the film i think at times it was maybe even though i don't particularly love the film i mostly have an appreciation again in the context of labrusse's oeuvre mm-hmm I think it was the closest he's come to feeling human as a, as a filmmaker. His films are very uh, talky, very discursive, very much based in, in wanting to be didactic, I guess. Didacticism was the word that I was looking for earlier, but I, uh, instead okay. I just kept using discursive over and over again. <laughs> and so it's interesting that even if it's not entirely successful, he does try to give Otto a sense of interiority. He gives him a past. He gives him a relationship with his past to his present sense of identity or his, his present relationship with, with a kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. And that is admirable for a director that usually doesn't like do those things. Okay. But LeBruce does often use voiceover, like interior monologue kind of approaches, does he not? He does use that, but it's rarely with pathos like the uh, okay. interior monologue that exists in the raspberry right or um hustler white is more form and and more style than it is a desire to create some sort of three-dimensional character whereas i think this is very much like a a bridge between the raspberry right which is mouthpieces and it's about mouthpieces and the mm -hmm. hypocrisy of of mouthpieces and the hypocrisy of, of certain revolutionaries and then gerontophilia which is his most kind of conventional film today and makes a concerted effort to make it about a, a dynamic which is rooted in emotion which is about intimacy and sex hmm. oh so this is kind of a like an interesting placeholder between the two because yeah 
when I was watching it, I was getting those trace vibes of like, okay, return to film school whenever we would get Medea's either voiceover or when she was doing her kind of direct address Godardian speaking to the camera kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But with Otto, I was having a harder time because it's still relatively philosophical, but it is, you're right, Pathos was the piece that I, I was getting from it and not realizing it. And it is an interesting attempt to get us to relate and to latch on to this character who really, I don't think the actor whose name I've completely forgotten. Uh, it's a uh, J. Oh God. J. I'm going to say J. Chris Farr, but it might be yay. I don't know. I mean, it's German. I think we'll go. Yay. Yes. <laughs> he has very, very few lines in this movie. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think he actually speaks outside of his voiceover until the scene when he's doing his first interview with Medea. But I mean, he even says in the beginning, he's a zombie with an identity crisis. And I think, because of that, though, he doesn't have an identity for us to really latch onto, and his whole arc seems to be about trying to remember, which makes sense. Like about remembering his past, remembering his boyfriend that he keeps having flashbacks of, and then of course when it's kind of revealed that it was just like a eh, not a big deal. I don't know. I mean, it's I'm not saying it's a. What do you mean by not a big deal? I mean, like, so, well, I guess. Maybe it's the wrong phrasing, but, you know, when they're sitting on the bench together and the boyfriend's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I just dumped you like that because you were sick. So I'm assuming that was kind of a an allusion to HIV. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I couldn't hear you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I admit that at first I thought something was going on with my streaming. I was like, oh, Really? This was one of those sequences where I, I kept having to fiddle with my volume because I was watching it and my husband was on the other side of the room and I was really afraid I was going to like piss him off. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out the sound. So I kept turning it up and then down so that I could hear the dialogue, but then not hear the static. At least on the Amazon stream, like during the conversation, like parts Did you of have his... closed captions? Because I honestly no. felt like I missed oh. maybe 50% of the conversation because I was just like, oh, God, they're talking. Okay, volume up. Oh, God. This well, no, 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 no. no. Static's be back down. Be yeah, because in the conversation, there is static over like half of the boyfriend's line. So you don't actually get to hear what he's saying. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's intentional, I believe. Well, no, I'm, I'm sure it's intentional. I just thought that that's such a fascinating creative decision because really you could argue that that's the emotional climax of the film or at least Otto's journey. And then mm -hmm. Bruce just fucking undercuts it like, oh, you wanted to know what their story was? Well, too bad. Here's some goddamn static. Well, I guess I guess. <laughs> okay, so that, I guess that's what I mean, but I, like, it's not a big deal. It's like it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter to LeBruce. It doesn't matter what happened in his past. He's just where he is now. And. He, you know, just had this sexual experience with Fritz Fritz and it sounds like a cat. it sounds like a cat. <laughs> a pornographic cat. Yes, absolutely. The big dick. But I mean, that, that I read, I read that honestly as LaRouche just trying to say like, you know, re past relationships don't matter. That's kind of what I took from that scene. I kind of read it as someone who is so broken by that experience and mm -hmm. that the dumping because... I was sick, or be, because you were sick, if that is indeed an, an inference or, a, or a, a reference to HIV AIDS, that anything that that boyfriend could say no longer matters. That is... Yeah, it's white noise. To have experienced that, to experience that kind of prejudice is devastating and it kind of erases any goodwill. And so much of Bruce LeBruce's work is a reaction to 
normative values, particularly regarding HIV AIDS, the way in which that was handled by a general public as well as a political discourse, in particularly in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of exists in his form as well. His film then also is kind of a challenge to heteronormative values, and being a part of the homopunk scene has made a lot of the threads in his work radical leftist, and I think that that ends up manifesting in a very interesting way in, in Otto, because in his other films, he would just have some character go on like a monologue about it. Mm-hmm. But here, I think he roots it in a very specific subjective experience of if this is indeed a somehow refer- referencing HIV AIDS or the, the HIV status of Otto, and that's being kind of the root of his trauma, he takes that kind of intellectual reaction or emotional reaction and then kind of roots it in like a very, very specific formal technique for that character. Mm-hmm. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> I, I feel it, like I'm rambling. No, no, no it, it does. It does. But I, I did want to touch on, you know, him attack, like, not attacking, but like kind of like challenging the heteronormative values. And again, I'm going back to this IndieWire piece, but his direct quote basically says, you know, he goes, personally, I've always been somewhat alienated from the gay mainstream and its orthodoxy. So I've never felt like I'm representing any sort of ideological agenda or platform. I'm opposed to gay films that try to prop up the gay experience, whatever that is, as something non-threatening and normal. For me, being gay is by very, it's, by its very nature, something that goes against the grain and causes people to reconsider the very definition of normalcy. So I, I get that. Well, I think that's why his films have this kind of revolutionary or like a call to action. I was thinking as you were talking, Kyle, that I wonder if that's why then the film, and I'm coming back to this motherfucking title. <laughs> I'm wondering if the contrast then is the Up With Dead People black and white film that we're seeing, which documents the struggle, like a class conflict, a revolutionary effort that's entirely populated by gay people turning gay people into zombies and then rising up against other people, but also ending in bloodshed and what could be interpreted as like a hate crime attack. Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, fine. I killed the conversation. No, 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 no. no. I just, I don't know what to say. Um, Hmm. Okay, so Kyle, you mentioned that you hadn't had a chance to see L.A. Zombie, which is the film that Bruce Lee Bruce made right after this. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I managed to track it down. I watched a part of it, but it's basically auto-redux, only it eschews all of the talkiness. So it's a nearly silent film, but oh. it's about a zombie who comes out of the water in L.A. and he goes around resuscitating gay men who have been killed by fucking them back to life and then ejaculating like squid ink onto them. (laughs) So at the beginning of the film, he rises out of the ocean and at the end of the film, he digs himself into a grave. Apparently the two films get packaged together when they get sold in certain countries. So you can buy them as a double pack in, I think it says Italy, but... Like, he he seems to be interested in this idea of using zombies not just as this metaphor for a queer experience or any other, you know, repressed minority, but also as a very explicitly political, like, gay sex will Mm. resuscitate life, it will drive people into action, it has power. Like, if you've known his other films, this is not a new treatise, but it's... The infusing it with the horrific, like, so the the sex mm. with the horror, I think, is an interesting piece. I don't think I'd 
necessarily want to be on the other end of that facial, but who knows? <laughs> well, it is Francois Sagat, so, you know. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think that it is entirely far from, like, notions of of a queer death drive. Is the rectum a grave? Oh, Lee geez. Edelman's... <laughs> Sorry. No, no, like, I think you'll just have to unpack it a little bit. So Lee Edelman wrote a book called no future which was about the queer futurity and the death drive and it's this academic text um within queer theory that i've read parts of i will be honest and say that i've not read the entire thing because i it's a lot (laughs) yeah i like to enjoy my life sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and lee edelman has been discredited oh no i well he is not seen as like in vogue as far as queer theory goes i love reading academic texts but no future is not as interesting to me as like the queer futurity of like munoz like uh um uh, cruising utopia and disidentifications Mm -hmm. in which there's like a possibility for a queer utopia where there is a certain kind of freedom and and justice that exists between the people that exist on different intersections of the margins etc etc but anyway so no future basically suggests that because gay men can't reproduce, that gay desire is not unrelated to a desire for death. Mm-hmm. In the same way that, like, smoking mm-hmm. is a phallic object and is driven by a, a kind of desire for death. Yeah. You're chasing cancer, or in this case, you're chasing butt sex that will only lead to death because you're not trying to create life from it. Right. The decision not to create life is more revolutionary than the desire to create life, because to create life, to procreate, means uh, that one would be continuing ages and lifetimes of oppression and and marginalization for other people. Well, yeah, and I mean, so many people think that procreating is, you know, the reason we are on this earth. Like, that's, that's, that's humankind's purpose. Yeah. And you folks down in the States are doing some really fun things with your... Uh... I swear to God, I will come up to Canada and (laughs) slap you in the face. You and your free health care. I mean, I I jest because it's not as though we don't have our own equivalents of right-wing assholes who want to put their hands all over women's bodies and take away their rights at the same time. And But... It feels quietly revolutionary in its own right to look at Otto and think about stuff like, oh, wow, okay, Bruce LeBruce is... I respect the fact that he goes for this kind of shit. Like, he's Mm -hmm. not afraid to say, hi, are you uncomfortable seeing this man fuck his partner's gaping wound with his erect penis? (laughs) Because if you are, then get the fuck out, because that's a film I'm making. So I did want to say, so we've gotten, obviously, into really heady, like, thematic discussions. But from a pure horror standpoint, this movie does a lot of things that I've never seen before. And so for that, I can commend it. Trace has never seen a penis before. Correct. I've never... (laughs) You're a side? Yes. I don't think this film's scary, obviously. But I will say that, you know, first 20 minutes having a zombie fuck a gaping, like, you know, stomach wound of another zombie corpse, I was into it, man. I was like, you know what? I may not really get what's going on with this whole shit, but I'm into that. Maybe this is more about me than anything, but... (laughs) It kind of sounds like you're a gay man who enjoys watching other men get penetrated and you know that seems reasonable given your sexual orientation so yeah i mean i'll take it i'll I'll take it whatever (laughs) well yeah i think it it seems unconventional and 
alienating and kind of weird at first, but I don't think it's that different considering the other orifices as kinds as different kinds of wounds. I mean, well, um, is the rectum a grave? Um, let me sorry. Oh no, yeah, go ahead. Leo Bersani. Leo Bersani wrote an article called "Is the Rectum a Grave?" and it was written in uh, 1987, and it was Ooh. during in the midst of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. But I think the, uh, his ideas regarding that kind of in the context of queer futurity and Lee Edelman, et cetera, et cetera, is that the rectum is where the dead things from our body, what we don't need from our body, mm. are, are, are evacuated from. Yeah. Evacuated from. Yes, that is a, a much more elegant way of saying it than <laughs> what I was going to say. Were you going to say poop shoot? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I- how dare we, you? We, we, <laughs> we, we, we have had some poop discussions on this podcast. It's fine. This is true. Yeah. Blessed be. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Yeah, so and then semen is often seen as like one of the progenitors of life. So again, is the rectum a grave? Having an escaping wound in one's stomach where one ingests and kind of digests food, which is supposed to give one life. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. Is that any? Does any of that make sense? I feel like I, I'm a moron right now. No, 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 uh, g- girl. <laughs> it's fine. It, it does make sense, but it, I think also what's important is also that th- that scene in this movie isn't part of Otto. It's part of Up with Dead People. So it's like mm-hmm. it's Medea's vision of what zom- how zombies copulate. Well, is it copulation if they're not? reproduce yeah it's still copulation right when you just say fucking yeah are you are we, am i allowed to say fuck on this podcast oh, yeah yeah no, for sure sorry we're gonna bleep you out with child well, words <laughs> well no because yeah well what was her phrase it was luring homosexuals into dark alleys and fucking them into immortality mm-hmm. right yeah which basically just sounds like a saturday night right <laughs> yeah i mean saturday i'm a bit busy it's more like friday sunday um <laughs> I would honestly call like a, a lot of these elements within the film kind of rebukes or or kind of riffs on a lot of the articles that I'm authors that I'm mentioning regarding queer futurity, mm-hmm. yeah. which you can Google on your computers. Um, <laughs> Those things. Is that what they're there for? Or you can go into student loan debt and go to grad school for queer theory and film theory. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Which I did not do. I just torrent these articles. Fair enough. That's yeah. what I use torrenting for. Not for movies. Not all movies, at least. <laughs> o- only for auto. academic articles. <laughs> auto, I didn't think was available in the US, but then apparently it is. Well, so I almost dropped 40 bucks on the Blu-ray for this movie. Jesus but I, Christ. Well, <laughs> so no, that was the thing. Because so I, I don't like buying DVDs anymore because I'm kind of a Blu-ray snob. And the DVD was like 15 bucks, And then I was like, oh, the Blu-ray, $40. And I was like, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just stream it. And I'm glad that I did. I don't know why I didn't think it was available in the U.S. My rule is that I try not to torrent anything that's, like, readily available in the U.S. Yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, I, I get it. We, I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. Well, I think for casual, everyday people, this is maybe not the film that you want to drop $40 on unseen. Fuck no. So... I mean, I'm sorry. That sounded really rude. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I could buy a video game that I would play for 10 hours instead of 40 bucks on auto that I'm only probably going to watch once or twice. I see where your priorities lie, Trace. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, for the record, I did watch this movie one and two thirds times because I, I started last night. I watched an hour of it, but I was like, I just come home from like being out of town and I was really tired. So I was like, fuck, I can't do this right now. So I came home and I was going to just watch the last 30 minutes. And then I was like, I should probably just start it over. So I did watch it again. So I've seen the first hour of this movie twice. 
I'm happy and impressed. Mm-hmm. I'm dedicated. I'm nothing if not dedicated, and I try to like movies even if I don't like them on the first watch. You know what, Trace? If we could give you a crown and a scepter and a giant pile of recyclable trash, we would proclaim you a king. What What the fuck did I watch twice? But, or a oh, queen. No, cause, <laughs> no, Cemetery Man. I watched Cemetery Man twice because I was like, I watched the first, first time. I was like, I don't think I like this very much. And I tried. <laughs> I fucking tried. Still didn't like it. I'll be real with you. I kept pausing this movie and watching videos of the behind the scenes on Vogue of people getting ready for the Met Gala. <laughs> It's fair. That's also fair. <laughs> now I see why you're, where your priorities lie. Yes, yes, camp. Camp <laughs> is where my priorities lie, and this film is kind of camp. I mean, yeah. kind of, not, but not quite Actually, enough. Actually, this is camp. relevant. This is relevant. It is camp in the way that Bruce LeBruce employs the term camp. He wrote an essay in 2015, I believe, called Notes on Camp slash Anti-Camp. Mm-hmm. And in that, he basically disavows traditional notions of camp and particularly Susan Sontag's definition. Mm-hmm. I guess a little catch up for our for your listeners. Our listeners? Your listeners. We'll say camp are. is a very elusively defined term usually to describe an aesthetic sensibility which is often used as a kind of language between queer people. And Susan Sontag wrote an essay in 1964 called Notes on Camp, and it was one of the first pieces of writing to take camp seriously enough to kind of treat it as a subject matter worth studying. And she popularized the term, which had been used in in subcultural communities and whatnot. And so Bruce LeBruce kind of wrote a reply to that essay like 50 years later. (laughs) (laughs) And what he had observed was that camp had been flattened and mainstreamed and <laughs> met bald even a post post mass culture world post late capitalist world i guess that camp did not exist in the same way that it had when she was writing about it and bruce lewis took very big issue with the fact that sontag implied or or explicitly said that camp was quote apolitical or at least not politically engaged which he found to be offensive yeah. and very much oblivious because i'm very much with him on this, yeah. and mm-hmm. camp can be used as political aesthetic, which I think Bruce Lee owes quite a bit to John Waters and in, in oh yeah 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 in the way that they use form in the way that you they use this challenge to normative aesthetics as a way to articulate a, a very particular point of view that is not accepted by the mainstream, and I think Otto definitely contains much of that. I'm glad that you said that she popularized the term because I've seen, like, be it on social media, even an article say that she invented the term camp. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Those people are morons. <laughs> it's people who don't want to research. On the subject of camp, I'm like a nightmare because people <laughs> will be in conversation with me and they'll say that something is campy or camp. And I'll be like, what do you mean campy? Like, and... In what way was that thing campy? Like, what does camp mean to you? And then I will assign them three readings and a 4,000 word paper. We are trying to theme a month later in the year in camp month. And uh, we're in the middle of like trying to figure out things we can fit into that category. So I I how far the boundaries can be pushed. Right. Exciting. I love arguing about camp. (laughs) So yeah, I I will have an all out brawl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So... I have a question, and this may seem a bit obvious, and it is coming, I recognize, like, nearly an hour into the discussion, but (laughs) would you consider this film art porn? Or art porn? Or, I guess, camp as well? 
I, I mean, I would go with art porn. Well, okay, but okay, here's where your distinction is, though. What, isn't all film art? So what do you mean? Do you mean art house? I refuse to elaborate on the question. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> I don't like the term art house, okay. honestly. Yeah. I think it's only useful in very broad discussions of movies just to denote things that are like not blockbusters and are made by filmmakers that people think have very specific intentions regardless of the reality. I would say that Joe's question is the same question that Bruce LaBruce is always asking the audience Mm -hmm. and maybe asking the audience to not necessarily compartmentalize the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doing a little bit of research about his work, it does seem like this is not just a discourse, but it's also a dichotomy that he's eagerly looking to push people he wants to challenge the notions mm. of what art is and what pornography is and where they intersect. But mm. it also seems like people have a real problem with it in terms of like legalities. Like when LA Zombie was doing festival circuits, it was legally not allowed to screen in certain countries because it was deemed pornographic and that mm. they wouldn't be able to get the right licensing to play it at a festival. Like somebody actually got arrested and had to pay a fine because they illegally screened it at an after party. And so it's I funny. think that that kind of shit is really fascinating because it brings to the front that there is a political angle to art, but that there's also political angles to pornography. Mm-hmm. Like, we oh, yeah. haven't encountered this a lot because you don't have a lot of filmmakers who will go for it. Not like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, to, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I believe, so with the Otto and Fritz sex scene and the orgy scene, I don't think there's any actual penetration on camera that you see. The only penetration in the film is the stomach wound scene. Am I right? In the version that we see, but apparently if you get the DVD, there are two minutes of additional X-rated footage. But I don't think it's the Otto and Fritz sex scene. I think it's just the orgy scene. The orgy scene, which, I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, because those are actually all adult entertainers. I don't think the actor that plays Otto is a pornographic actor. No, he's an an ingenue. (laughs) Yeah, just very nondescript. (laughs) It probably just means Bruce LeBruce slept with him, so... (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I always assume the gay directors are trying to sleep with young cast members. That is an abuse of power. (laughs) Which has never happened before. But it also would not surprise me. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to come up with like a a witty pun on ingenue, but I couldn't come up with anything. A fluffer. (laughs) On J... No. (laughs) <laughs> i'm not in doing that jeans i will say I, I mean i know this is not like a mainstream film but i did appreciate the little gay details like even like something as small as like when Otto's sniffing the poppers i was just like oh look at that mm-hmm. like because i mean you know straight people don't know what poppers are well and they're a bit of a dying art nowadays because they're so fucking illegal um not in the u.s, yeah, not in the US. Oh, okay they're illegal in well, canada you, you you just can't well there are places there are places in the u.s where you can't buy them but they're not illegal you can't say poppers it's like the, well it's like uh, in texas there used to be a law where you can't say dildo or vibrator you have to say personal massager like that's what they the sex stores would sell so i saw that in Hello. class i would like some shoe polish to open up my anus no vhs cleaner yeah vhs cleaner dvd, DVD cleaner. cleaner yeah like uh there's a well this is not poppers this is dildos and shit but like yeah there's a i think you can find it on youtube it's called the dildo diaries and like you'll see where they go in and they're like hi i'd like to buy a dildo and they're like oh we don't have dildos but we do have these personal massagers and it's just because they can't they can't say it Jesus. um but yeah same same thing with poppers yeah, it's like dvd cleaners vhs cleaners 
So symptomatic of just how repressed we are in North America when it comes to sex. And that's what Bruce LeBruce is pointing out. Ooh. There we mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And also because he's Canadian, so we're so much more liberated. Not, not. Okay. I mean, more so from the sex standpoint, for sure. I think he's just like a dirty guy who's like, you know what? Can we just stop being that? afraid he of sex? He also does a lot of stuff in Germany. Yeah. yeah. I think he spent a lot of time in Berlin. And, and I think he, the punk scene he was involved in was mostly in Berlin and not Canada. And kind of, therefore that influenced and, and shaped his mm-hmm. his perspective and his ideology yeah. well and i i know that you mentioned that you know he was like you know kind of fitting into the new queer cinema that movement or era but he apparently rejected his association with that and aligned himself more with the queer core movement which was more of like a punky yeah. version of that yeah yeah i'm sorry i was using homopunk queer core is the oh right, right, right. yeah more correct term have either of you seen his cocky boys film no, but I saw it in his Wikipedia <laughs> filmography, and now I'm just curious about it. It's good. It's really good. I originally thought that it was him not finding the kind of success that he was looking for in commercial filmmaking. Like, I know that he said that Otto and even L.A. Zombie has sold well in various formats, but I mistakenly assumed that because he's been doing work with Cocky Boys, which for straight listeners who may not know, is a gay pornography website in the U.S. Should we have explained what poppers were? <laughs> <laughs> you guys covered Should it with the Should we explain what a dildo <laughs> is? Uh, straight people, uh, it's basically, uh, uh, it's like huffing paint almost, but basically it like gives you like a really quick couple second high that relaxes your muscles and thus makes it easier to have anal sex for some of us. Uh, sorry, can continue it's just like smelling markers to me and it is not worth it it's yeah i think it's overrated i mean i've got lots of fun stories from my time working at the bar where people would leave the lids off their poppers when they would coat check and then i would just have to smell poppers for the entire like three why would they leave the lids off (laughs) wouldn't you be worried about it spilling out i don't know man you have to remember these were drunk slash high people who were just looking (laughs) to get fucked clearly because they had their cocaine they were good so yeah sorry so um cocky boys continue (laughs) sorry yeah so he's directed a bunch of different actual hardcore pornography films for the cocky boys website but the website itself is far more artistically inclined than several of the other pornography websites i had to like look this up like i had to do a lot of research to get this i don't know from personal experience or anything Mm -hmm. so he directed four different shorts that were compiled into a feature that they sell called bruce LeBruce's flea pit you can watch a trailer you don't have to watch too much of the I, I'm, I legit Googled it. I'm like looking at the uh, little stills and shit. But they look akin to Otto and L.A. Zombie. Oh, I think I've been saying L.A. Vampire. No, no, no. no, I, I, no, no. I think you said L.A. Zombie. I think you're good. <laughs> but they, they look like they fit into this world of Eastern European gay radical. They've got a little bit of like zombie angel or sorry, devil angel iconography and that kind of stuff in it but it seems like a very natural extension to what he's been working on um so pornography is like a pet interest of mine intellectually mm-hmm. and i mean bruce Bruce has been a pornographer a pornographic filmmaker for a very long time mm-hmm. and he had stopped for a little bit or had not been doing as much work because he was concentrating on more commercial work and, and more of his narrative films okay. And then he did stuff with Cocky Boys, which was actually, they saw it as Flea Pit on the Cocky Boys website, but it was, it toured around the festival circuit as a film called It Is Not the Pornographer Who Is Perverse, which is actually like a reference to a different essay. Yeah. 
And also, I didn't realize how recent this cocky boys thing was. It was it was 2018, so it's like super recent. Yeah, yeah. And one of them, Diablo in Madrid, with Sean Ford, who is a little bit of an art fag. Mm-hmm. He loves movies, and like he once posted the Andy Warhol treatment of the poster for Fassbinder's Corral. But anyway, he's in one of the scenes, and in the the background of the scene, there's a poster for Amadeus Valver. Oh, really? Oh, I love that movie. I love how. Like, I imagine that people could watch Otto or some of Bruce Lee Bruce's other films and make that really uninformed, stupid argument that this guy doesn't know what he's doing, that he doesn't know how to make films, he doesn't know how to cut them, he doesn't know how to do sound and all this stuff. But it's so obvious that he actually knows exactly what he's doing and his list of references and the people that he aspires to be like or that he's drawing influence from the list is massive he's really smart i mean that that's apparent well in this one film of his that i've seen i may or may not go do research on this cocky boys video after this um but okay it is sorry for interrupting no go ahead so it is not the pornographer who is perverse is a reference to it is not the homosexual who is perverse but the society in which he lives which is a german camp film by rosa von prunheim should we know who that is, Kyle? Uh, Rosa von Prunheim was a prolific German queer director, predominantly in the 70s and 80s. Okay. And he made a lot of documentaries okay. that were shot on like Super 8 and 16. I saw a couple of them in New York last year, actually. He's also like a gay rights activist. He's made so, so many films. I think he's still active. He's made lots of films about the AIDS crisis. He made a film about Fassbinder's actresses. Mm. Uh, he made a film called Charlie Brown, New York, which is about a older nightlife singer who has many, many stories and wants to, be, and is also somewhat of an actress. And he has this interesting approach of kind of looking at outsiders who exist in New York. It's just interesting, like how freewheeling this conversation has been in terms of all the different kinds of directions that we've gone in. I feel like people could draw a syllabus of queer cinema and its influences from <laughs> this past hour. which people should do if you haven't read some of these texts i mean they're not always easy and they're not always super accessible as you said you have to torrent some of them no i know and some of the research that i've done for this like not this specific episode even but just like episodes in general yeah it's like i was like oh fuck academic site gotta pay for that shit (laughs) so it's frustrating how difficult even the accessibility of academic pieces is like if you want to educate yourself on some of this and you don't have access to a college or university library it's like okay you know ask well, ask a friend does the money for that though go to the author i'm, I'm not gonna do whatever <laughs> <laughs> wait trace are you in academia no i'm not but my, my my husband's in grad school so he can take one path of academia or research and it's a possibility. So he's like dabbling his feet in that, but not on queer theory. Mm. So um, I was just curious. I was like, well, so why did I make you pay for it? But whatever. No, the author does not get that money. Oh. No, it's licensing so that they can pay for usually the journal because a lot of it is journals. Well, that's stupid. I mean, so, so, sorry, edit that out. Don't don't <laughs> add me at that. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have? Other thoughts, pressing issues with Otto that we want to raise? I wish I liked this movie more. I like talking about it. I've had such a good time talking about it. But it is just not his most watchable film. 
in spite of it being 95 minutes, it felt much longer. And that was mostly my fault for pausing and watching videos of Lady Gaga putting on her Met Gala outfit, but... I mean, that alone is a 30-minute enterprise because you're watching four different well, fucking reveals. I do want to point exactly. out, though, that even without the credits, though, it's 89 minutes. And I confess, it, it does feel a lot longer than that. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's something I've said for our last three episodes. So... Hopefully, Trace we is start... just itching to get back to like the bona fide Hollywood blockbuster. We, uh, we, 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 we've just done a lot. Actually, sorry, not last week's episode. Last week was The Brood, and that movie feels great. But yeah, we've done a lot of um, heavier films, and I'm like, okay, l- l- let's move into the fun ones. But it's okay, we're good. Uh, no, I, mean, I don't. Have, I don't have a ton to say. I mean, we didn't give a lot of like audio time to Medea, but I did like her character. I mean, again, I, I kind of viewed her as a caricature for this whole movie. I mean, her fucking garbage dumps are the great mass graveyards of advanced capitalism. Like, I mean, she had plenty of other lines like that, but for some reason, that line actually made me like guffaw a bit. Uh, I just like the part where she yelled at the little girl and slapped the fuck out of her. <laughs> <laughs> you should always slap a child. I mean, that's what there, I slap do. That child, get the mouse screen. No, it's it's like this film's equivalent of like the horror genre killing children. It's 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 great. I was into all that, um, and I did like the love scene between Otto and Fritz. I was confused. Well, why do y'all think that he didn't eat him, but he did eat the other guy? Love. Okay. He found him. I think he found himself with him. It's very sentimental. But it is, yeah. I mean, with the guy he picks up, it's just I mean, some random John, right? If this is partially about like how does one who is marginalized by society like conceptualize their own identity, and if one of the suggestions is at least through Medea's lens is through intimacy, mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting, right? Yeah. And, but then it doesn't work because he just goes back to being a zombie. The intimacy is too much. <sighs> yeah. Or intis- intimacy never works. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> I mean, it could, again, it, it 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 could be a very cynical view. Make of it what you will. Yeah, don't go looking for the love story in Otto. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough sell. So, like, do you not have a game for us, Joe? Uh, a game? Yeah, typically we play a game at the oh, end so of the episode. <laughs> That's a no. I thought you were gonna have like a fun, like, dirty game. <laughs> um. Well, okay. Well, I guess that's gonna end Otto. I'll have a game. I, I can have a game if. If I may. Oh, fuck it. Yeah, let's go. Go for it, Kyle. Um, What beast or or fictional or mythological monster character do you think would best represent how you are in bed? Ooh, we're getting personal. Ooh, uh, okay. I gotta pause and think about it. (laughs) How I am in bed. Oh, that's a kind of, yeah, it's really personal. Uh, but that's okay. I like it. I'm sorry. You you are by no means required. Oh to fuck answer. no! I'm gonna answer this. I just gotta figure it out. <laughs> um, do you have one in mind for yourself, Kyle? I think I'd go with a vampire. Okay. Wait, I thought we were talking about animals. No, I said mythological creature. Uh, I was totally like thinking of animals. Um, fuck. All right, hold on. <laughs> I, I just monster. Say monster, monster. Mm-hmm. Creature from the Black Lagoon, I changed my mind. Creature from no, the Black Lagoon. Mm, I'm, okay, well, does it have, well, hmm. <laughs> well, no, because my answer, hey, my answer was gonna be, when I was thinking it was animals, was gonna be snake or serpent. So that's why when you said monsters, oh, like, Black Lagoon, closest I can think of. Oh, I'm sorry for stealing from you. That's okay. I'll just say the anaconda from anaconda. It's not mythological, but it works. Read into it what you will. No, so I, <laughs> devours I. devours men whole. No, 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 because I can be, like, really sexy and slithery and sneaky, but every, like, sometimes, you know, like, mid-coitus, I, like, strike. 
Not not with not, not with my fist. You know what? I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to explain it. Y'all can <laughs> just imagine it. When you're looking at Bruce LeBruce videos, when you're watching the Cocky Boys videos Ooh. later on, just imagine Trace. Medusa. Yes. Medusa. There's your fucking mythological monster. Because she's you a turn man to stone. You turn men to stone? No, no, but I, like, I don't know. I'm one of the snakes on her head. You don't want to be looked at? It just um, means he likes mirror play. Uh, that's actually not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> not that. <laughs> 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 Can't wait until we get to that Bride of Chucky episode. Dude, dude. No, I, I've actually been accused, like, when I've been in a restaurant, this isn't, like, a sex thing, but, like, when I've been in, like, a restaurant, like, sometimes, like, the walls are mirrors. Um, when I talk to people, I'm actually not looking at them. I'm looking at my reflection in the mirror whilst I talk to them. And I've had people, like, stop me and be like, will you stop looking at yourself? That sounds really narcissistic, but, you know. I was going to say, that's just you being a narcissist. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, can I not appreciate my form? Are you checking yourself out? No, I, it's literally, I'm talking to the person in front of me, but I'm staring at my reflection because I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even checking myself out. I'm just like, I don't know, appreciate my form. I wish I had that confidence. <laughs> I, don't think it's com- I don't think it's confidence. It's just like, look at me. <laughs> I don't know. All right, sorry. Joe. Kyle and I are like, no, but look at me. <laughs> I mean... You know, I, I, I really think that, you know, the level of confidence is like, that everyone should have is if you look at yourself in the mirror and you say and, and you can say, I would fuck that. That's the appropriate level of confidence that, you know, where you're like, you're good. You don't have to go beyond that. When I look in the mirror, I'm just like, oh, well, it works. <laughs> Fine. Um, OK, well, that's embarrassing for me. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, <laughs> who is what is your mythological creature? Uh, it's a bit of a stretch. I don't know that any really lines up perfectly, but I will go with werewolf because it kind of, it goes through phases. Like sometimes it's regular and other times it's like, oh, okay. It's a little bit more animalistic. But then I was like, oh, that also suggests hairiness. And it's like, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're like more of an otter. I think, I mean, I say this without ever having physically met you, but I would just assume that you are. Stop scamming on my Instagram pictures. <laughs> well, now I have to do that. Uh, he has a lot of pictures of him in a Speedo. Okay, thank you. <laughs> be. I play sports, okay? They're sports ball. I keep telling him if he would just post pictures of him in the Speedo, like on our Patreon feed, we'd get way more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, thirst strap it out. I support That's your 100%. <laughs> no shame. Although I... I've had this weird thing recently where, like, I'm very much in the support of, like, women being able to post pictures of their, themselves in any dress and it not being any indication of their intellect. But for some reason, whenever I see a guy post a thirst trap of his abs, I'm like, oh, you're a moron, aren't you? <gasps> yeah, no, double standard, double standard. I know, I'm the worst. <laughs> Is it also because it's often true? <laughs> yes. Let's be honest. No, I girl. I those are our listeners. Like, <laughs> I only ever feel that way about influencers. Whenever I see people who right. are like professional. Social okay, media okay. People, so. I'm gonna ask this hard question and do not take offense to it. Well, actually, you can. It's fine. I, I can't prevent you from doing that. <laughs> but do you think it's maybe a little bit of jealousy? Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, gay desire is predicated on envy and jealousy. Yeah. What we want, what we no. project onto other people. I mean, like, I I don't post like thirst trap pictures. I mean, I if I had more confidence in, but will you now? Well, 
I'm asking. No, I mean, because no, I mean, like, my, my body isn't there. But, like, like when I was in college, I used to go to, like, the nude beach. And I say nude beach here in Austin. Like, I mean, it, it's a lake and it's, like, a rocky area. So they call it a beach, even though it's not a beach. But I used to go to the nude beach all the time. And I would get so pissed, though. So there's a straight area, which is the like, majority of it. But at the very end is the gay area. And all these fucking little twinks are out there with their Speedos on. And I'm like, why the fuck? Are you going to come to a nude beach? And, and and these are people that also can be naked and be fine because they look very, it's like fucking like 20 year old college twinks. And it made me so mad. So I would go over there and just get naked. Be like, this is what you fucking do at a nude beach. But I digress. I, I support you. I support you. I haven't been in a long time and I actually really want to go back. <laughs> There's your summer mission. But I would, I would, I would still get naked there because I mean, honestly, too, when you go to a nude beach, like there's people there that aren't, you know, in the best shape. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you're never going to be the worst looking person there. Right. I just, I don't know. The thing about like posting pictures on the internet like that, I, I haven't reached that level yet. I sometimes experiment on my alt Twitter and like on my Instagram stories just to see like what it's like to sell a my brand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How's that worked out for you? I mean, it's gotten them into GQ, so. (laughs) (laughs) When I made the decision to create an alt Twitter account, which I'm not telling anyone who it is. Yeah, for sure. On Mike, but just DM Kyle for details. DM me for details. <laughs> I was like, oh, like hypothetically, if I did this or if I worked in the sex industry or something, like no one would care. Writing is the profession where you're able to you can get away with it as long as you're able to articulate thoughtfully. Well, not even thoughtfully. <laughs> articulate period. <laughs> articulate period. No one's really gonna care, and it's not gonna count against you job wise. In comparison to other industries. Right. But I recently posted a lascivious photo of myself with the Met catalog for the camp exhibition in front of me, just <laughs> hiding my, my bits. And, but it was like so heavy that it looks like I'm struggling with it. <laughs> That's great. Like, oh, this, I love this is really weighing me down. Yes, and that is why I chose Creature from the Black Lagoon as my ah. sex avatar, because I am weak and want to like just Get back in the take water. someone for my domestic purposes so we can like live our life away from other people. And I'm actually very sweet, although I seem like very intellectually aggressive to some people. As long as people don't em- engage you in discussions about camp, you're yes. a sweet little person. I would say, like, so by intellectually aggressive, do you, like, what, what do you mean by that? I'm really opinionated and that alienates people all the time. Gotcha. It means he will cut a bitch. Opinionated and well-read, which is even more intimidating. Thank you. An, an opinionated idiot is fine. Like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, God. That's just... I'm Twitter always very surprised when people tell me that they're intimidated by me. And I'm like, why? I'm 5'4". Five, 5'4 four. Five, four and weak. Okay, so you're, you're not physically intimidating. You're mentally intimidating. <laughs> I think I'm going to say yes. I'm not bad. I'm bad at taking compliments, but thank you. Yes. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. We'll go with that. Cool. Well, that was fun. So we've got Medusa. We've got Creatures in the Black Lagoon. And we've got Werewolf Otter. Yeah. Fun game, Kyle. (laughs) Thank you. So, before we get to what we're discussing next week, Kyle, what would you like to plug? Anything you want people to know that you're doing right now? That could be yourself, or that could be, like, future publications. Or that private Instagram or Twitter of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter at tile kerner t-y-l-e-k-u-r-n-e-r. Very, very creative. And I just mouth off about movies and make dumb jokes. You make a lot of sex jokes, too. Only recently. <laughs> I mean, it goes up and down. And it's usually, I made a promise to myself that, like, I usually will only make sex jokes if they're, like, relatively clever. I will applaud you on that because they have been clever. 
Thank you. Like, I, this is very judgmental of me, but I find that a lot of sex jokes, I, I'm a little bit of a comedy nerd, and I see a lot of comedy in New York and kind of dip my toes into it as well. And then without being a professional, it's, I feel like an interloper for saying this, but there's a certain repetition in, in the kinds of jokes that are told. And I made a promise to myself that if I were going to joke about sex, that it has to be like clever or like vaguely political or vaguely subversive. And sometimes they are just stupid on my Twitter, but are rooted in wordplay. Mm-hmm. But anyway, enough tooting my horn about that. You can find my writing at my portfolio, which is tilekerner.tumblr.com. I'm going to be working on a story which I believe is going to be in the New York Times on June 9th, and that's going to be a cool piece about the kind of repertory programming that they're doing in New York City for Pride Month, which is also going to be World Pride and the 15th anniversary of Stonewall. Oh, good timing, because this will drop immediately before Pride Month begins. Yep. Fantastic. Yep, this is, uh, oh yeah, May 29th, just in time for fucking whatever Zombie Awareness Month or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's made up. Trace, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Trace Thurman. And I'm at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag horrorqueers in your tweets. Tweets, not treats. treats. You can also email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com if you have something that's too long for one tweet. Uh, if you have two seconds, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating. If you have 30 seconds, please leave us a rating and a review. It's really easy. And that five-star button is right there. Don't hit the others. If you like what you've listened to and want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes each month. This month, we have already dropped our episodes on Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, and The Perfection, which hopefully all of you have seen, because The Perfection is currently my favorite movie of the year. Or favorite horror movie. Actually, no. Fuck it. Favorite movie of the year. So, uh, on that note, what are we covering next week, Joe? Well, we're not quite back to Hollywood yet, but we are going to... Stick with some very, very queer-themed horror. So we're going to be checking out the forthcoming release Knife Plus Heart by Jan Gonzalez. Yes! <laughs> very exciting. It's so good. I love that movie. It is very good. So I actually caught it last September, and I'm excited to like rewatch it again. And I have not seen it, so I'm excited. I watched it like four times. It's great. Now, listeners, if you're listening to this right now, when this episode drops, it actually doesn't hit VOD platforms until June 4th, and our episode on it will drop June 5th. So you won't be able to watch it until 24 hours before we the episode drops. So that's okay. You should still pay for it. You should still give it your money. It's really fucking good and support queer filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, I believe we can cross out Otto. Yes, and cross out horror queers. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to return to watching this video. Is it Fleabag? <laughs> <laughs> Not Fleabag. Not Fleabag. What was it called? Flea Pit. Flea Pit. Oh, Flea sorry. Pit. What? What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. We're done. Bye. <laughs> Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.